Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the lead pastor here. And we are on week two of a series we launched last week called This Changes Everything. Now, the this is very important. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How, when he came to this earth and he died for our sins, and he was buried, but he didn't stay there. When he rose again from the dead, which represents new life, which represents him conquering sin so that we can actually overcome our own problems and our own foolishness. And when we choose to follow him, we can really experience a new guide and a new life. How does that actually change our lives beyond just maybe celebrating it once a year on Easter? And so as we continue in this series, we're talking about how does this actually change the aspects of our life? And so today I want to talk about how the resurrection of Jesus and following him changes our happiness. And happy is a word that we use a lot. It has lots of different meanings and connotations. And so I just want to start out by asking you a question. What makes you happy? Are there certain things that you do that makes you happy, that brings happiness? Is there certain things that you can see that that makes you happy? And we all have different emotional uh, reactions to that. And so just kind of think, of those things. For me, one of the things that makes me happy every morning is that first sip of coffee. I love coffee. Uh, Recently in the new year, I've been roasting my own coffee beans, getting into that world, and I've so enjoyed roasting the coffee, waiting for it to be ready, and then drinking that first cup. There's a certain amount of happiness I experience, kind of like this just this well-being of like, man, that's a good cup of coffee. What's interesting though is there's other things that can bring happiness that you know, it's here and then it's gone. And that idea of happiness is something that, that I think every culture and every aspect of the world has. And that's because every human language has words grouped around two matters. And those two matters are this, and you'll see it on the screen. We either are feeling good or we're feeling bad. It's very interesting. It doesn't actually matter what culture you go in. They have those two categories. And we ask a question, how are you? And most of the time we give just a blanket statement, most most of the time without thinking. And when we ask it, uh, we expect usually a statement of good, or I'm fine, or I'm well. Occasionally somebody would maybe even say they're bad, but we have those kind of two categories. How are you doing? I'm good. And you kind of move on in your day. Well, why are those two words the things? Well, every human language is obviously made by humans. And there's that kind of sense of like life is either it's good or it's bad. And it's kind of divided. Now, there's definitely ranges. And so the reason I want to talk about this is when we talk about happiness, we all can come come from different places based on what we think, based on our own experiences, what makes us happy, like I've already mentioned. But I actually want to give you like a spectrum of what feeling good looks like. Because when we answer somebody, I'm good. What does that mean? Like good, like nothing crazy happened, or good, like I'm feeling, uh, like life is put together, or good, I don't really want to answer with what's going on in my life. I'm just going to give you that, that word. And so good, happy, kind of ambiguous. So I want to define it by giving kind of a spectrum of what happiness looks like. And you'll see a chart there on the screen, and it kind of goes from high intensity of feeling good to low intensity, I want to define these words. At the high intensity, you see that we can feel good at the highest form when we experience bliss. And when we're in a bliss, it's like we're unaware of anything else. 
Like we are just in bliss. It's like, it doesn't matter what's going on. We are feeling that good. Uh, right under that is this feeling of ecstasy. Uh, this is beyond reason and self-control. There's actually a drug by that name because that's how it makes you feel. That's a very high intensity of feeling good. Another one is euphoric. It's kind of that idea of like you're feeling high. Again, there's drugs and there's substances that can make you feel like that. It's feeling happiness and excitement. And so often when you want to feel that way, you've got to look for different ways to pump that to make you feel better. Another word is elated, you'll see there. High spirits. My spirits are high. I'm elated. Then you have delighted, which is a high degree of gratification. There's just some things going on that are making you feel good, and you're, you're delighted. Now, look at right in the middle there is the word happy. And that's kind of mid-range of feeling good. Now, all those words above it that I just described are kind of the next degree, and then the next degree, and the next degree where we're pumped full of these good feelings. But then below happy, when it's a lower intensity, we can be pleased, we can be content, serene, calm, we can feel relaxed. There's kind of a certain just feeling of happiness that's, you know, like I'm good. There's nothing crazy. I'm I'm relaxed. And then the lowest intensity is sleepy. Now I find this kind of interesting, but there's kind of a, I guess, well-being of just, you're kind of just, you're a little bit sleepy, but there's a calmness and that can kind of uh, feel good. The reason I bring that up is oftentimes uh, we want to feel good and we think that we need to be in that highest intensity. So if we're not euphoric or we're not blissful or we're not delighted, something kind of feels wrong. But what you find is, is that actually happiness and to have an attitude of, of feeling good is, is kind of there in the middle. Uh, we don't need to live life expecting that everything is going to be just awesome all the time. And we just have this huge grin on our face like, it's perfect. We know that life doesn't work like that. So when we talk about as it changes our happiness, we're talking really about that mid-range where you see the word happy of this, you know, contentment and, and well-being. And the Bible actually commands us to have that certain perspective, that approach to life, to, to live with joy and happiness. In Psalm 102, it says to serve the Lord with gladness. Now on the screen there, you can see the original Hebrew word means to have a happy, lighthearted disposition. So there's this idea of, of, of a gladness, like, you know, life, it's going to have ups and downs. And when things are really good, we don't need to get so pumped up. And then when things are bad, we don't need to go so far down and spiral. It's so easy in our emotions to just go extreme. My personality, I can be kind of extreme. When life is good, it's awesome. When life is bad, it's terrible. But to serve the Lord with gladness, it means you're, you're kind of even keel. You go with the highs, you go with the lows. But then you know, okay, God, God is with me. And I'm going I'm to serve him. I'm going to continue to keep my, my eyes on him. That's a command in Psalm 100. Another command is in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And it says, rejoice always. Now that to me is one of those things where you read the scriptures and sometimes you're like, how can that be true? How can that be something that I can do? Because certainly in life, I do not want to rejoice always. There's many things I face that kind of, I'm the furthest from rejoicing in my mind, in my attitude with what my words want to say. But look at the definition there of rejoice. It means to to be cheerful, calmly happy. The reason I bring this up is that gladness and the rejoicing. Again, 
it can seem somewhat like it's fake. And there's a sense in which we have to put on a facade or put on a mask. But, but notice, there's this well-being and contentment. That's really what happiness is. It's not just these super high feelings of just awesomeness as much as it is. You know what? Again, God is with me. He's watching out for me. And if I need him, I can call on him and and he'll help me. The reason I bring that up is if you don't have a relationship with God, our culture is telling us all the time to chase pleasure, to chase feeling good, to chase happiness. And you end up going on this search for something that is very hard to find. But when you connect with the Lord Jesus and you invite Jesus to lead your life, what you find is you don't have to chase those feelings of just trying to make yourself feel good all the time. He gives you that disposition. Now, it's something you have to you work on. You have to keep kind of getting away of those really low lows and getting just off of that pursuit of the really high highs. But, you know, God, God's going to take care of me. And so I want to talk throughout this message of, of how we do that. So let's define happiness a little bit more. We've talked about the spectrum. But what is happiness? Well, happiness, first, is not amazing delight. That's what I've set up so far. Happiness is not an amazing delight. If you're not a follower of Christ, and you may have known Christians, and you may have thought to yourself, something doesn't seem quite right with them. Like, it seems like everything is always good all the time, and there could actually be a barrier that's there. Now, the positive side, you, you may know Christ followers, and you can see, you know, they actually seem like life goes well for them. There, there might be a, a a trust that they have that I, I don't have. They, they may have this kind of foundation of their life that I, I'd want for myself. But wherever you fall on, from your experience or what you've seen or what you even just know within yourself, happiness is not just this amazing delight. Like I've already stated, life does not work this well. L- work like that, I should say. And look back at the chart. Again, happiness is right there in the middle. Amazing delight is those things that just make us feel off the charts good. But happiness is right there in the, in the middle. So it's not amazing delight, but happiness is a sense of well-being and contentment. And well-being is, is things are good. That is, in light of all that God's given me, and in light of my life, things are actually good. Some of that disposition is it could actually be a lot worse. That's actually really helpful to think about. Many times, if you're like me, it's easy to look at the things that you don't have or the things that are unraveling, the things that are falling apart. If you're a parent, it's easy to look at your child and all you see is the negative. All you see is what they're doing wrong. Or if you're married, you look at your spouse and it's easy. That's all you see. It's all you see is the cracks. If you own something, like you own a home and you've got this gift, like you have a place to live. But you begin to see all the problems. Same with your car. It's older than you'd like. It doesn't look quite as shiny as it used to be. And so oftentimes, that, that well-being comes from this sense of like, wow, look at what I have. And that's what I want to focus on. And that leads to that second idea of contentment. It, like, it is enough. Like what I have, what God's given me, it's enough for me to actually feel good about my life. Now, it doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean everything's together all the time. No, my life's unraveling all the time. I don't know if that's how it feels, but right when you kind of have one area, like maybe you've been working on your finances, like I want to get traction here. I want to be responsible. And as soon as you get that in order, it seems like maybe there's a conflict in a relationship at work. You're like, oh man, I got to focus on this work relationship and kind of camaraderie and working as a team and, and then a family like conflict. And, and you know, that's kind of how life is. 
So again, the well-being and contentment is, you know, what I have, what, what I have is enough. And life, life is good. It's not perfect, but, but life is good. There's an important question as we've talked about what happiness is. It's not amazing delight. Instead, it's well-being and contentment. Well, here's a question, and I've kind of already asked this, but what makes me happy or sad? I talked a little bit about what makes you feel good, but what makes you happy or sad? That's a really important question because what we have to start doing is look at what are the things that I experience in my life that makes me react certain ways. And so I want to just share what the usual approach to happiness is. Here's how we usually approach it. And you'll see a chart up here. When things go well and when they look hopeful, guess what? I'm happy. That's how life is. When things are good, I'm good. When things are hopeful, I have hope. That makes sense. But what about this? When things don't go well and when things don't look hopeful, I'm upset and I'm sad. Now, some of you are dog owners. You, you love maybe walking your dog. But if you have a dog that kind of likes to just go crazy on a walk, uh, you, you're just maybe got it on the leash and you know you have to keep it on the leash because if you don't, the dog's going to run everywhere. But it can just be pulling you, especially if you're like maybe just training your dog. The dog can pull you wherever. Wherever they just get that sniff, they're going to go and they're just going to run you ragged. That's often how our emotions are. And that's how our circumstances kind of lead us. It's kind of like a dog that just is learning just to follow whatever feeling they have or whatever scent they have. And for us with our emotions, that's that roller coaster that can just lead to an up and down experience of life. It can be overwhelming. It can be stressful. Okay, I just hope everything just holds together so I can relax or, oh, I just need my problems to be done because I can't keep up. That actually is not what happiness is. It's hard to have well-being and contentment there. Why? Because it's tied to the leash of our circumstances. I want to bring in another word, which I think kind of rounds out this idea of happiness and well-being and contentment, and it's the word joy. And certainly, joy is something that we all want to experience. That word, it probably just evokes like, like, man, that's what I want. There's a certain longing when you hear joy, like, that's what I want in my life. Seems like it's a little bit longer lasting than happiness. And the two are connected. Here's how joy is defined in uh, the Webster Dictionary. It says, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. So when I'm defining that happiness as well-being and contentment, you see that that's actually this facet of what real joy is. It's well-being. There's an idea of success, like my life is, is going well. Now again, you may be hearing this and well-being and contentment and success, maybe good fortune, and that could be the last thing that you're experiencing right now in your life. The reason I bring that up is sometimes we can be so discouraged because we think we should be experiencing something we're not. Or we think we should be in a better place. Like, what's wrong with us? And we beat ourselves up. I want to encourage you. God will meet you right here and right now as you turn to Him. I know we hope for so many things. And there's some of you who are watching right now that you hope for some things to change in your life. There's some things that you just think, if that could come together, I could experience that kind of joy. 
I could experience that happiness. But right now, that well-being or that contentment, like that's the furthest from you. God, as you turn to him, he will take care of you. And it may not be in the timing or in the, the certain way that you hope, but he will do what's best for you. That's what we talked about last week. He's gonna work things out for your good. And so I just, right now, as you kind of feel that, maybe you just feel a little bit of disdain or frustration, maybe even some apathy, just, just tell God about that. If you not talk to God, it's just you have a conversation with him. You don't have to say any special words. Just tell him how you feel. What's going on in your head right now? It's right there where God's getting your attention. So pay attention to that and, and choose to, to just talk to him about it. So that kind of joy, I want that kind of joy you want. And we may have just varying degrees of being there. So I want to just talk about uh, how we get there. Well, you don't get it by just singing a song and it comes together. Uh, here's one of the songs that I grew up with. Maybe you've heard this before. Let's listen to this together. song I wrote, you might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry you make it double, don't worry, be happy. I don't know when you heard that whistling, if you knew the song it was, but that's the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And you saw some of the lyrics there. And there's a certain aspect of life, which is, you know, if you pour your attention into worry, it's very hard to feeling that well-being and contentment. But it's also something different to sing a song about it and for that to actually be how you live. So oftentimes it's like we just want to believe it into existence. But that's, that's not how it works. We actually need to change the way we see things. We need to shift our perspective. And then we need to value things differently. That's how we change. We don't believe anything into existence. We actually need to see things differently. And then we need to value things differently. And that actually leads to change. So it's more than a song. It's perspective and it's values. I read an article in, uh, recently, this was back in a few years, but it, but it gave some perspective on how happy people think. Now this is written by uh, a psychologist, but notice the conclusions that they draw and then I, I wanna build on that. This is what the Psychology Today magazine says. A happy person experiences the spectrum of emotions, but the frequency by which they experience the negative ones may differ. So basically they experience all of the emotions everyone does, but the way they process the negative ones, it, it differs on how they see it. And then it goes on. It could be that, pay attention to this, happy people don't experience as much negative emotion because they process it differently or they may find meaning in a way others have not. So interesting. This is psychology. Looking at this 
kind of phenomenon that all sorts of people experience similar circumstances. But happy people, they actually have a way to process the negative things differently. And then it talked about they have a, a different way of seeing things. Isn't that interesting? That's exactly what I've been saying. It's that perspective, how you see it, and then the value of it, what, how that lands, certain expectations that we have. And so the question I asked is, what makes you happy or sad? The answer is how I view my circumstances. Do you want to know what makes you happy or sad? It's how you view your circumstances. Uh, if something is hard, if something is not what we want, it has a major impact on us. It's like this downward pull and we can ignore reality. We can get into disappointment. We can get into hurt. And then when we feel that, it's like, I just got to pump myself up emotionally. You can do it, Alex. You know what to do. Feel good. Smile. And keep going. That's what the world tells us. But oftentimes you're like, I don't feel that at all. I'm still disappointed. I'm still hurt. So at the same time as you, you wrestle that, all, all of us have to face what we deal with in life. When things go bad, we have to process it. And here's the difference that following Jesus makes. How I view my circumstances are connected to how I view how life works and God's involvement in not only the good in my life, but God's involvement in the bad. Meaning, how is he going to help me? And how can I respond in a way that lines up with what the Bible says? God is involved in every aspect of life. And it's oftentimes in the hard things, when that leash of our emotions just wants to take us just off track, it's actually in the hard things where we can learn to trust God in new ways because we become a little bit more desperate. Our ears are a little bit more open if we allow God to speak to us. And so if you want to kind of get to this point where you can really choose this joyful happiness, well-being, contentment, I want to kind of wrap up with two very important things. The first is happiness demands that I choose this, a view of the difficult. How I view my circumstances impacts my happiness. So I need to know how to view it. Well, the view of the difficult becomes this. This will be for my good. That is a different perspective. Happiness demands that I view my circumstances. And when you decide to follow Jesus, you look at it like God's not absent. I'm not over here facing this difficulty and he's over here just enjoying his life disconnected from me. No, God sees what I deal with. He draws in and he's paying attention and he's there to help. Very different perspective. God will use it for my good. He's in charge. He will use this for my good. Check out this passage in James chapter one. This is one of the most counterintuitive scriptures I've ever read. And you may have heard it before, but it says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature incomplete, not lacking anything. Well, what does God use for our good? He uses the difficult things that our culture and our mind and our heart tells us to just freak out about. React, run away. 
but he wants to use it to actually produce something in us. He talks about perseverance. Perseverance is the ability to stand under pressure over a period of time, knowing that God's given you the strength to endure. We all are going to face hard things in our life. Life doesn't get easier. It gets harder. We all face difficulties in work, at home, with our goals, with trying to make ends meet with our finances. But it's in the difficult things that we face that we actually learn to trust God differently. There's a weight on us. And the, the picture is, God, will you help me right now? I'm trying to bear this, and I don't want to just bail. I don't want to just run away. Will you help me? And it's like this weight that you're holding on your shoulders, and it feels like your knees are going to buckle, and you're going to kind of crush underneath it. And God comes, and he just, it's like a little spotter. just comes, and he's like, I'm with you. I'm going to help you. Don't, don't bail. I'm right here. And as we do that, we say, wow, God, I, I can trust you. You helped me when I called on you. And the idea in this James passage is that not only is, is he going to come through and help you sustain, but he's going to produce something good. Notice that the scripture talks about that it's going to bring this maturity and like a completeness. It's going to change me for the better. I'm actually going to be a different person because of this circumstance that's hard. That's very counterintuitive. Again, we want to kind of go around the hard things to get to the good things. We want that high intensity of feeling good. But that usually means we're, we're checked out from reality. You want to be happy? You move through even the hard things with a disposition that, that God's going to help me in this, just like he helps me in every other thing that I face. So he's going to change me for the better. And this is going to be used by God to bring good to me and others. There's this compounding effect. Like if I handle this right and I learn to trust him, there's this ripple effect that this could bless many people. I faced difficult circumstances in my life. There was a particular season about six years ago where our family was just under immense pressure. And it all started with my daughter having to kind of have some teeth extracted. And we were like, this is the worst thing we've got to face, it's our firstborn and the idea of pulling teeth and, you know, looking back, I was like, wow, that was really minor for what we've had to experience in life. But that's where we were. And it seemed major. The reason I bring up the teeth is later that night, my son was in a scooter accident and knocked out both of his front teeth. And so we went from kind of like one tooth extraction to one kid to a forced extraction scooter accident with another kid. That time I had actually ruptured my Achilles and I was just going into surgery. Same day, this is all happening. A week before that, on our son's birthday, we were driving and we got in a car accident. And we had a car accident, teeth problems, more teeth problems, Achilles surgery. And it just felt like, what is going on with our life? And it was like the last thing I wanted to face. But this is really the, the time of my life, about six years ago, where I had to decide whether I believed that the scriptures was real and that God would really help me. And so as a family, we decided to put this scripture into practice. And when it says consider it pure joy, there's a sense of like this, this is something that we want to rally behind. Look at all the bad things that are happening. Look at all the hard things. Let's rally. Why? Because God's going to do something. 
God's going to work. And so what we did, and this was an idea from a mentor of mine, he says, you know, when things are really bad and it just seems like it's stacking up, throw yourself a James 1 party. And so we did as a family. We celebrated. We had a nice meal and dessert and we talked about all the things that we're facing, all the difficulties, the overwhelming emotions that we're, we're seeing and in the middle of it, just recognizing, God, we're going to throw a party because we know that you're going to use this for our good. And you know what? He did. It strengthened our family because God came through. It strengthened the church community because people rallied and served and we felt loved and they had an opportunity to help. And it also just knew, made us realize, like, God, you're preparing us to face hard things. And the way that we learn to face hard things is by dealing with hard things. You can't deal with endurance unless you have pressure. And so this is real. But we have to view circumstances from that. This will be for my good. A view of the difficult. Now, you need to have a process for handling the difficult as well. Not just the view of it. God will use this for my good, but it goes further. There's a process for actually how you handle it. That's that perspective. And then there's the value of what, what do I actually do? And that is, I will trust and obey Christ. Basically, no matter what happens, no matter what I experience, I'm not going to bail. I'm not going to turn to anyone else except God. Other people can help. And I need to let people in on what I'm facing. But I'm not going to go rogue. I'm not going to just do my own thing. I'm not going to pull away. I'm not going to disconnect. I will trust him. I want to read another scripture, which to me is, again, very counterintuitive, as much as this is. Because again, all of ours is tied to circumstances. And so we just go wherever the circumstances take us. But it's actually how we view it and how we process it that leads to happiness. And we can only do that with, with God's help. Last week, if you tuned in, I shared about the life of Paul. And Paul started many churches in the first century. And he's really the key like, component and catalyst for the growth of the Christian movement. And he was trained in Judaism. He was like a devout Jew, actually persecuted Christians. But then God got his attention and he gave his life to Jesus. And he became a Christ follower. And he became a missionary. And he started churches in all different areas. And he would travel by foot and by sea. And in the middle of that, he faced so much persecution, people who came against him. And then he just experienced so much uh, things of life, like he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was hungry, he had no place to sleep, just all sorts of things that for us would seem like would be the worst, nothing to do with happiness. But we have this account of his perspective of how he trusts and obey God. And this is in 2 Corinthians 1. And he talks about the hardships. And he's saying that the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia, again, being shipwrecked, being basically left alone without anything in the middle of nowhere that they had been. And then he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. And what he's saying is real. It wasn't just like, this was a bummer, like our car battery died. It's like our ship is destroyed and we're literally floating in the ocean, hoping to be rescued. That's what he's describing. So it was far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But pay attention to this. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such 
a deadly peril and he will deliver us. Oh, wow. That is like packed full. He's setting up his circumstances. He's not running away from it. He's not denying the terrible things that he's happened. And then he's honest with his ability. Like we couldn't even face this. We didn't know what to do. Life feels like that. It can be overwhelming. You can get to the point where like you can't hardly get out of bed. You may be so depressed and so discouraged that this idea of happiness, it can seem so far away. But you can begin to move towards that well-being and contentment as you make a choice. Here's the reality. To rejoice, it is a choice. To rejoice, it is a choice. And the choice is not on our own ability to overcome. Because we can't. Life hits us and it hits us and it hits us. And we want to get into self-effort, but you just, we all hit the wall. Where we're done. But it's in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. That's why it changes everything. Because he gives us the power and he gives us the help. I love this quote by Alexander McLaren. It says this, All of life and every incident is a part of God's training us to a greater capacity for blessedness. The way we grow in well-being and contentment is not by pumping full of awesome experiences. That just leads to having great ups and then really great downs. But instead, being trained by the hard things, that leads to a greater blessedness. Seeing God come through when everything seemed like it was gonna fall apart. Even in the darkest and most threatening times, Think about like storms, like God brings that rainbow. It's like that, that picture of hope, like he will take a care of us. And so what it means is when I'm in the middle of things and it seems like everything is hopeless, I can pray. I need to ask God for help. I need to do what's right. Not just give in to fear, not just give in to making myself feel better. And then I need to, to trust him. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to blow it when the pressure's on oftentimes. We have the wrong attitude. When the pressure's on, we can say wrong things. We can hurt the people around us because we're under it. And don't beat yourself up, but learn from that. Bring God in to what you face. It's like this picture. Everything can seem dark, but look how those lamps light the darkness. In the moments of darkness, as you turn to God, He begins to bring the clarity and the brightness, and He lights your path through His Word. He will give you the help. A scripture that that helps me is Nehemiah 8.10. It says, For the joy of the Lord is your strong place. Gladness is like a defense. It fortifies the joy of the Lord. It's not the joy of Alex. It's not the joy of the Barrett. It's my family. It's the joy of the Lord. The hope that he gives. So whatever you're facing, turn to God right now. As I wrap up, turn to God, ask him for help. This is not theory, this is real. And we decide to follow Christ, it changes everything. As I wrap up, if you are just kind of sensing like I need God's help and you've never decided to follow Jesus, you can make that decision today. On the connection card that Joel mentioned, there's a place where it says, contact me about following Jesus. Mark that and we will get in touch with you. We want to help you learn of how to give your life over completely to God so that in the middle of what you face, you can 
experience the help that only he can bring. That's your first next step. If you're not a Christian yet, you just feel like it's time for me to give my life completely over to God. Let us know. Mark that on your connection card. Here's some other next steps for you. Mark these as well. The first is share a takeaway with someone today. God speaks. His word speaks to us. What I encourage you to do is go beyond maybe the, just the swirling in your head. Talk to somebody. If you're watching this with somebody in your family, talk to them afterwards. Say, what was your takeaway? Here's my takeaway. Process it. But share with somebody. Just pray for an opportunity to share with, with a neighbor, with a coworker. Here's something I learned. I just wanted to share this with you. This might be a help to you, but here's what something God has taught me. That can sound so risky, but get outside your head. God actually uses that to help our perspective. As we explain it, it becomes a little bit more real. So take that next step. Another one is just attend the rest of the series and invite someone. And there's a place where you can put who you'd like to invite. But just make a commitment. I'm going to come back because this stuff is real. Following Jesus, if this is real, it's going to change everything. And we're going to continue talking about how that changes our discouragement. And we're going to talk about how it changes our, our disappointment. These are things that we all need perspective in, and God will bring the help. And then the final next step, attend the Discovering Faith Lunch on May 2nd. If you're investigating what it means to follow Jesus, and you're not sure what the Christian faith is all about, attend this lunch. We're going to define what the Bible says as a Christian, like what makes a Christian a Christian, what that means. And then you'll get to hear from people at Ridgeview that will just share about the difference that Jesus made in their life. And so we'll have lunch outside. It'll be a great opportunity for you to meet people at Ridgeview. As you're watching online, God wants you to connect with the community. And so this is a practical way you can do that. So you can mark that on your connection card as well. Hope to see you next week, same time, same place. God bless you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being with us today, for the help that you bring. I pray for anyone right now that just feels discouraged or overwhelmed by life and the things that they're facing. God, I pray that they will turn to you and in their frustration and in their anger and their discouragement or depression, they will ask you for help. I believe as we ask, you respond. You don't play games with us. So God, just will you turn to those that, that, that seek your help and will you, will you help them as we know you will? You're so faithful and you are good. God, as we approach our circumstances Help us to just be quick to remember that you can use this for our good. And in the middle of the hard things, to trust and obey you. It's from those things, how we view it and how we process, that you can really use it to grow us and change us to become different people. So we ask that you'll do that with whatever we're facing right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.